Hello and welcome to another episode of the Investigative Economics Podcast. I'm your host, Llewellyn Jones. Today's episode is uh, another episode on climate, uh, part two. Uh, last week, I was I recorded a podcast episode about a number of uh, climate-related stories uh, that were on investigative economics, and I, I prefaced it by saying that I'd been hesitant to write about climate because it could be so complicated. And really, it's not so much about complicated wind patterns and you know, chaos theory and anything like that. It's more, it's more like climate involves a lot of different fields all at once. It's chemistry, it's physics, it's astronomy, it's um, weather, it's a lot of things all at once. And, so, and that does get complicated. But um, talking about some of these topics doesn't mean you need to know you know, the half-life of carbon in the atmosphere necessarily, or just everything that's going on potentially. It is, it is hard to say everything that's going on. It is, it is a complicated topic, but that isn't going to hold us back from talking about some subsets of climate. And uh, we, last time we talked about, you know, how the number of, uh, there wasn't necessarily a growing number of hurricanes that solar radiation is increasing, which is likely also a contributor, if not the main contributor, to uh, the rise in temperature, um, and a couple other topics on that. Well, there's more. There's more because there's a lot of facets to climate, so there's a lot to talk about. And uh, I'll jump right into the first one: is that you know we were talking about solar radiation last time about you know there's this increase in solar radiation that shows up in sort of some of the NASA satellite data. It also shows up, you know, when uh, these are, you know, sort of algorithmically generated numbers about uh, the angle of the sun increasing in the northern hemisphere, which is going to, uh, you know, that's going to be caused by, you know, that's related, potentially related to, I'm going to get mispronounced this, so apologies, but the Malenkov uh, uh, cycles of, you know, sort of the, how the Earth changes its axis and its angle as it goes around the sun, as it rotates on its own axis, all those sorts of things. But one other aspect um, about all this is that um, uh, another uh, set of uh, satellite data uh, from NOAA this time, it's the uh, High Resolution Infrared Radiation Sounder, the HERS uh, satellite data, is that uh, that measures outgoing radiation not incoming this time. Like last time we were talking about incoming solar radiation coming into the Earth. This time it's talking about radiation that's you know, ref- coming out of the Earth. Not necessarily reflected, but uh, you know, uh, sort of like black body radiation, things like that. Uh, and that has not been going down. That, that, that's one of the, sort of, the, sort of the assumptions about the greenhouse effect is that there's this layer of carbon dioxide that's growing bigger and bigger and bigger. And that that is absorbing up all the outgoing uh, uh, outgoing long wave radiation, otherwise OLR, that and that's keeping it in the Earth's atmosphere, and it's turning it into heat, and that heat is heating up the climate, and it's doing all kinds of other things, heating up the oceans, uh, causing rampant destruction, cats and dogs living in sin, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but uh, but those numbers haven't been going down in, in the last um, 30 years. It's been going up. There's a time in between the eight, 80s and, uh, and early 90s when it was going down, which is maybe something. 
uh, and maybe none of this really makes any sense, but since the, the mid-90s, it's been going up, um, which is the opposite of what you would expect with the greenhouse effect, that it should be limiting the amount that's uh, exiting uh, the Earth's atmosphere and therefore should be going down. Or, you know, maybe if you'd say like, oh, there's something else going on, maybe, you know, there is an additional solar radiation, but then this the net effect would, you know, uh, would be zero or it, it should still be going down if the if the greenhouse effect is the major player um but no it's not so and it's sort of another hole in the greenhouse theory um that they were talking about how uh that the the potential for the greenhouse effect to have be to be heating up the uh, oceans the, the amount of heat that's been trapped in the oceans coming from the greenhouse effect you know, it would have to be just, you know, I don't know how many, I forgot how many zeta joules would have to be absorbed through the atmosphere and then into the oceans through the ocean's surface is just highly improbable. And it would also imply a huge temperature change in the Earth's atmosphere that's not one degree Celsius. It would be like seven degrees Celsius. Uh, and that would, that would be a severe change in climate for sure. And we would really be seeing that. Um, but yeah, this one, it's, you know, the, the her satellites, uh, this is not just, you know, straight from the raw data. There's a, there's a couple uh, scientific papers that show this, like, um, uh, you know, sort of negligible change. Some of them are negligible changes in outgoing radiation. Uh, sometimes it's, there's like maybe a little bit of an increase, but not much. Uh, the, the, the tropical mean OLR, which is, you know, just they, a lot of these satellite, uh, metrics are based on a single location or, you know, a, a select number of locations and averaged over those locations. And they, you know, they have one for the tropics that are like within a range around the, the equator, you know, between 20 degrees, uh, south and 20 degrees north, um, and there's just not that much of a change, uh, you know. If it's if the there's a ways to get like really fine grained details about like well, you know, the numbers. A lot of these these metrics are you know the the data is jagged, it's volatile, it's going up and it's going down, and you know that's a lot of it's seasonal, daily changes and things like that. But you want the overall change. And I've did we did some uh, statistical analysis on like for the incoming solar radiation about that about like well is it overall is it coming in more than it's uh, you know has it is it going up overall and there are a lot of ways to sort of really get a good uh, barometer of that a, a good measure of it because sort of like if you just do an average um, sometimes that doesn't sort of really get all of it if it's um, you know, if it's, it hits a really big high one year, but then it's a little bit low the next two years, is that, is, does that mean it's gone up or do they cancel each other out? Um, ideally, you know, there's like a ways to do sort of an integral, you know, getting into calculus sort of stuff to get the full summation of, uh, of all the change over that time period. But, you know, a lot of this is, on, these are, well, A, besides that being complicated and, um, uh, you know, these are not continuous data necessarily. So it's just like, you know, points here and there. Can you really sum across it? 
over that time period is that like very legitimate you'd also maybe want to define a function over that uh that period to really um model that data and is that is that really modelable like that so but to be honest it, none of that really matters because the the it should be going up significantly it shouldn't be like oh is it going up a little bit more than it's going down in this situation no it should be going up quite a bit this is all this is you know supposed to be massive amounts of heat that are being trapped in the atmosphere not like oh is it maybe one you know additional watt per meter squared per year that's going up no it's, if it's going up it needs to be it should be like 10 uh, watts it should be very noticeable and you shouldn't have we shouldn't have to do this advanced statistical analysis to really capture that and in a way, there's also a simpler way, which is to sort of like you, you average it over like 10 years, which uh, we've done a decent amount, sort of so you like it'll capture all of the volatility uh, over that time period. And if it's, you know, over 10 years, if it's gone up, then that's something. Um, but again, not even necessary because you can see it's the changes are not that significant. Um and this, you know, sort of just getting into it about like what this means about the sort of the greenhouse theory is that, uh, and I, I was actually really surprised about like, if you start looking around, uh, you know, sort of reading up on all these like, sort of like academic websites sort of, sort of giving descriptions of, of, you know, climate change and how it's happening sort of for the lay user being like, well, you know, this is all the heat that comes into the atmosphere and some is reflected out and some it's sort of like a greenhouse that the, the, you know, the layer of carbon dioxide and these other, and like methane and all these other ones are this like layer that lets in certain things, but doesn't let out uh, other things. Um, that uh, quite a number of them are inaccurate. Like this is this one from the university of Calgary, you know, uh, that should know better. Um, and the site, this is like a site dedicated to climate change uh, and how the greenhouse effect and how it works. Um, and it, they blatantly say that the earth is surrounded by the vacuum of outer space. It cannot lose energy through conduction or convection. And the only way the earth loses energy into space is by electromagnetic radiation. And it's just not true. That's it's just blatantly not true. I mean, you know, whether... Uh, you know, whether it's, you know, you know, maybe it's getting into, you know, I'm just you know, picking uh, small details here, but Earth certainly loses matter into space um, through just, you could call it convection. Convection usually means it's like two, two different types of matter interacting and like the heat goes from one, uh, one type of matter to the other one. You know, it's like, you know, you got cold water next to air, you know, it's sort of... Um, you know, the water sort of evaporates out and some of that, you know, the heat from that water goes into the air, it's absorbed by the air and vice versa. Uh, and that's kind of like convection. I'm probably getting something wrong here, so apologies. Um, but in this sense, it's just like some of the atmosphere, the oxygen, the carbon dioxide, it's mainly, it's mainly hydrogen and helium, really. It's like after they've been broken down in the atmosphere from... Uh, from usually from water vapor, the hydrogen there, um, it floats off into space, you know, it's, you know, it's not enough to sort of like expand the atmosphere or anything like that, but it's, it's enough that it's 
disappearing and it's taken heat the the heat that's bound up into those molecules it's taken that with it so that's um you know that's going to be that's it according to the european space agency it is 90 tons of matter per day um and it's these you know when helium and hydrogen they're super light so they're just sort of you know, drifting off into space, and there's a little, there's a lot of detail into that, and you get into like the physics of it. There's these things called uh, genes escape about like how those, because it's not like um, space is really pulling it out. Um, it's just sort of like when you know, grav, it's out the outer reaches of the atmosphere, so um, there's not that much gravity to hold it in place. Um, and there's sort of like little microscopic interactions between these molecules to really uh, just kind of like just give them enough push to leave the atmosphere and go into space. And this is a, this is a thing that happens. It's not, and it may not be as much as sort of outgoing long wave radiation. Um, and you know, sort of to get an idea of like what radiate when we're talking about radiation here, because everybody thinks of radiation as like you know nuclear waste radiation things like that, but like. Just any sort of, you know, light is also kind of radiation, um, ultraviolet radiation, things like that. Um, I think the, the, the most common one I remember from physics class they always talk about is that if you heat up, you know, a pan in the oven, like a super hot degree, you turn off all the lights, you'll see it kind of glow, glow red, you know, like a blacksmith uh, might have something glowing red. Uh, and that is, it is emitting you know, light, visible light radiation. Um, there's probably some, you know, invisible radiation that's given off as well uh, uh, that 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 uh, gives off heat as well. And that's, that is, you know, sort of that's something, it's like, you know, sort of a variation on light that's sort of reaching your eyeballs that you can see that it's glowing red. So that's, that's the radiation for you. And the earth, which has all this heat, is sort of, you know, it's not just, you know, part, particles of heat that are drifting off, but it's sort of, um, you know, you're shooting out this, this, this radiation that has a lot of heat energy in it. And that's, and it's losing heat that way. And just the way that, you know, the sun gives us radiation by, you know, through solar radiation, uh, through, through the bounds of space, even though there's no real matter in between. So, um, but so this, the way that, you know, that we're, the Earth is losing all this matter into space is, you know, it's losing about what, what the estimate is that I put together just based on sort of the specific heat of, you know, was it, it, there's different ones for hydrogen and, and helium, but uh, for hydrogen, um, it's a loss of three kilograms of hydrogen. Uh, it means that it loses 2.3 million joules per second. Uh, based on the specific heat of hydrogen. Um, so it's not an insignificant amount, and it's not the major one, but here's, it's just like something that like, well, you know, your university trying to educate the general populace on something that's, you know, totally contentious and, you know, to say that that's the only way. There's a, there's a bunch of other, you know, you can go to a, a number of other, like NOAA, NASA, I think all have, you know, climate change primer details that talk about just the ways that, not necessarily about climate change, but just about here's, you know, how Earth atmosphere, you know, this is how the atmosphere works. This is how it keeps heat. This is how it loses heat. And that, you know, if it just kept all the heat, it, if it couldn't, you know, release any of that heat, we'd just become a, you know, a barren rock in space, just like, uh, Mars and Venus, um, 
just without an atmosphere, a proper atmosphere. I forgot the details about these other planets, whether they have an exact atmosphere or not. But, but that's what's going on there. Um, and that there, you'll, you'll see, I'll, I'll, I can probably touch on to some of the other ones I've come across, uh, particularly about... Um, what is, we'll get into the ice cores in a little bit. I feel I found there to be a lot of misleading information about that. They, they didn't make it into the stories, but because some of it is sort of like, well, you know, is this a, how significant of a website is this to sort of be like, well, you, the image you're, you're presenting is totally misleading. Uh, and I don't even know if it, it, it's worthwhile to call, call attention to it. Um, but, you know, uh, uh, there's a lot of misleading stuff. A again, climate things is a difficult, difficult, uh, complicated topic. And it's, that's why greenhouse effect has been debated throughout the last, you know, century and a half. That, um, that it really wasn't sort of an agreed upon theory up until, you know, the last few decades. Um, I mean, you can say that it was maybe the majority assumption back into the, the 60s and the 70s, maybe. But um, there are a lot of competing theories. There are a lot of theories that the, the, the layer of carbon dioxide can't absorb that much heat. Uh, that, um, that uh, you know, how much would be absorbed by the ocean or not? How much, you know, was part of the carbon cycle? How much of this carbon dioxide was coming from... Uh, other different places was it all actually disappearing where was the amount of carbon dioxide that was seen in the atmosphere the sort of expected based on the amount that was coming you know was ostensibly generated by industrial society and you know fossil fuels and coal and oil and all that sort of stuff uh the the it's i, th I think this is actually a really interesting you know th th subset of climate that just doesn't get talked about is just like sort of the history of the debate and you it has been going on for you know people talking about like people thought this was a theory it has been around for over a century um and if you, you do go think think about like a hundred years ago during the industrial revolution um that people really were, were were concerned about you know pollution um that uh and what its effects could potentially be and mainly because you know, a hundred years ago, uh, cities, you know, pollution was a substantial problem just in the cities that like, if you look at pictures of Pittsburgh, uh, it, around, you know, 1900 or so, um, I mean, they were producing such a vast amount, you know, just, it was the, the, the world's largest steel manufacturer just right there. And they put out a lot of smoke and it was all, you know, sort of a lot of local pollution of just in Pittsburgh, uh, that it was it was dark and cloudy there. Like uh, if you've, you know, people have talked about the pictures from China. Uh, I don't know if I haven't. I don't know if it's how much of it's still going on. But you know, China like ten years ago, some of those cities were really kind of gross and disgusting. And uh, I mean, that was also added that people were burning coal in their backyards. Like this is not like oh a coal plant way outside the town. This is like you no, know, they were you know uh, very localized pollution. You know that. You know, a lot of these concerns about sort of pollution are like when something gets burned, like and you inhale it, like you're just like standing over it and inhaling it. That's going to be bad for a lot of things. I mean, you can stand over a wood fire and do that, and that's in small amounts. That's n it's not a big deal. But you know, if it's 
you're standing over it day in and day night, that's going to be a problem. Um, but, you know, like a coal plant outside of town, that's not, it's going, it's getting mixed with the atmosphere. And there's also like coal plants have improved, you know, by leaps and bounds in the sort of their filtering technology and all that sort of stuff. Um, so, but if you look at Pittsburgh back then, that there's reasons that people were concerned. They just didn't know if carbon dioxide could be a problem or not. And so, you know, people were looking into it. Um, but uh, there's a lot of debate saying that, like, no, um, you know, the guy, one of the sort of the first uh, prominent theorists about the, you know, greenhouse effect, this guy, Svante Arrhenius, I'm probably pronouncing that wrong, Nobel winning guy, chemist, um, uh, he had also forgotten about that, you know, the earth might be losing heat from convection of, uh, you know, hydrogen and helium going into space. Uh, and it would throw off uh, uh, calculations throughout the next century. This is from this, uh, it's a great um, history of it from the uh, American Institute of Physics. Got it. The, the really thorough history. Uh, it's available online. I totally recommend. Uh, but so that, that was all sort of like in debate for decades and decades. And it wasn't until uh, Charles Keeling measured the amount of carbon dioxide at and it's this sort of measurement that's been going on to the current day at Mauna Loa in Hawaii uh, it's this it's an active volcano which I, I thought was an inactive volcano but no it's an active one but I guess it's not you know really erupting very much um, but he set up a station there back in the 1960s that um, that was like sort of the first like ongoing measurement of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. But before then, it was sort of ad hoc. People would take measurements, but, but you, they'd you know, sort of debate it and be like, well, I don't know, maybe it was Tuesday. It was just raining the other day. And um, is this like a, a reliable measurement or not? And uh, he set it up so there was like a constant monitoring station that was able to get like a measurement throughout the year for multiple years. They had one in Antarctica. They got shut down at some point. I, you know, imagine it's Antarctica. It's hard to sort of, you know, it's such a rough climate that, uh, you know, to if it needs to be a hands-on operation, somebody needs to live there, you know, year round. And that's pretty difficult. Um, but the, the one in Hawaii has been there since the sixties, uh, and uh, they can say that, like, no, you know, carbon dioxide in, is in the atmosphere. The amount is going up on a consistent basis. And, um, and I mean, that didn't, that didn't settle everything and everything. There's still all these debates about the carbon cycle, natural sources, uh, ocean absorption, uh, water vapor in the atmosphere, all that sort of stuff. But this was a, you know, it's a huge leap in the greenhouse theory to say like, oh no, this is, this is the amount of carbon dioxide is going up. It's not all being absorbed by the ocean. Um, it, it doesn't shut everything down, but this is, you know, this made it, gave a huge leap to the greenhouse theory, uh, made it much more prominent. Um, but, uh, but we'll, we'll get into, why Keeling's findings of this did not satisfy, it does not shut the door saying that the, the greenhouse theory is, is totally in effect. Um, but uh, sort of get into a little more detail about why uh, the greenhouse theory might not be reliable. Um, well, there's a lot of different aspects to this. Um, I should say first that 
the biggest thing is quite obviously is that that if if it's all coming from you know human uh production of carbon dioxide if it's all coming from coal plants and cars uh, and gas and all that stuff then the pandemic would be the best test of that theory that gasoline consumption came to a halt pretty much you know gas prices came went to zero and they went negative actually because nobody was buying gasoline um and uh and there's a lot a lot of other things just weren't being done a lot of fossil fuels were not being consumed throughout 2020 because everything shut down and we should be able to see that um in the in the co2 data in the uh i mean it's how many is according to international energy agency energy consumption declined by one point of uh, sorry carbon dioxide emissions related to energy consumption declined by 1.9 gigatons in 2020 i mean it is like it's about it was at like 35 gigatons a year when that happened and it dropped to 33 gigatons uh so which is a you know measurable amount you know it's not like it's the emissions are being cut in half but it's very it's visible gigatons is a lot of emissions and that should ostensibly be seen in the carbon dioxide record and in the temperature record if the greenhouse theory is 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 in fact true um and it's not it's not visible at all and uh, there's another uh, investigative economic story i did uh maybe a year ago or something like that talking about well well if, it, if you're not even looking at uh, carbon dioxide if you're looking at methane levels those also you, you didn't see a drop in those that the numbers from mauna loa this you know monitoring station in hawaii didn't change whatsoever it's like nothing happened there was no pandemic and you know noah has a special dedicated to answer these questions saying like well you know carbon dioxide is complicated there's the carbon cycles you know it might take some time you're not going to see that within a year but that was in 2021 when they wrote that it's 2023 now um if there's some you know sort of climate level slow glacial pace of those changes it should be seen within three years um and that, uh, you know, that's if, if, you know, there's all these other carbon cycle things that should be happening, that if, if the human effect is a significant effect, then we should be able to see that effect. Um, it's not like there's, you know, it's getting lost in the volatility. No, it's just like a sort of a straight line going up. Uh, and yeah, there's nothing to see. No, no, no noticeable change in anything whatsoever. Um, and you'll see that, uh, that even the Noah's statements about this sort of like, oh, you shouldn't be able to see it in a year. Even that's kind of like covering up. It's like, no, you should probably see it in a year already. We should have seen it, uh, you know, two years ago that a lot of the models that you can look up online. There's one, this is the university corporation for atmospheric research, UCAR. It's a national science foundation, like sort of sub, sub, uh, research uh agency that's focused on climate and atmosphere and they have their models online and you have interactive models you can see that if you 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 know and they're 
these models are there to say like, oh, if we stop using gasoline, you'll see a change in carbon dioxide. Or if we double carbon di- or carbon dioxide output, this is the temperature you'll see, to, you know, implying that we really need to cut our emissions immediately. And we'll otherwise we'll see much more significant changes immediately. And and it's in their model, it's showing immediate changes, not three years from now, ten years from now. Um, making it seem like that that carbon dioxide is not coming from um, uh, human human sources. That might be carbon dioxide coming from, well, like it might be coming from just the number of humans that are on the planet, uh, you know, just breathing out. But it could be coming from uh, all the other sources of carbon, of decaying plant matter, and all these other places that where the, the Earth generates large amounts of carbon dioxide. Um, so, you know, you've got that going on there. Uh, and so, yeah, like, so if, 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 that, if everybody suddenly stopped dri- not driving their car doesn't stop climate change, then really what, what can you do at that point? If, if you still believe in the, the greenhouse theory that it's all coming from human, anthro- anthro- not anthropomorphic, uh, anthropogenic, uh, climate change, which is you know the human-generated uh, fossil fuels leading to the temperature increase, then uh, this showed that you know a pandemic can't make a dent. What's what's the point in anything else of like stopping use of coal because in, in none, in none of it really matters. But essentially, in short, it's it's poking a big hole in that that greenhouse theory effect of you know it's this human-generated uh, temperature rise. So, so and, and of course, also, again, mentioning methane and all these other ones haven't really been affected either. So even if it's, you still chalk it up to the carbon cycles, there's no, the methane cycles really should be, aren't, aren't there either. So you should, we should be seeing a change in methane amounts. But again, yeah, nothing's happened. Nothing, no, nothing changed. So... You know, where did all this come from? Like, did this guy Keeling, you know, did he just go off on a whim? I mean, a lot of people were kind of, you know, did think that something was happening with carbon dioxide. and It could happen. And, you know, there is, a, people have measured, you know, radiation heating up carbon dioxide in a test tube and, you know, these little small experiments. So, you know, there was reason to, for people to believe that this might be a thing, but you know, where did, you know, Keeling really ran with it. And, um, this, you know, this is sort of leading into the other story is that, you know, it, well, he did ran, run with it and it, you know, people did think it was a thing for hundreds of years. It, it's, it's good to keep in mind that the, he was working for Scripps Oceanographic uh, Research Service, um, which is, uh, you know, now part of University of California system. Uh, and they do a lot of stuff with, you know, ocean research. But it's good to understand that Scripps is and has been for decades and decades heavily funded by petroleum industry, um, that they do a lot of research for, you know, helping to identify sources of petroleum, you know, underneath at the bottom of the ocean, uh, they've they've worked on projects where uh, they coordinate uh, climate measures from oil tankers that are out at sea that the you know like the Exxon Valdez or whatever is you know floating in the ocean and they see a storm 
And they and the the Valdez takes all these uh, these these readings of like you know wind speed and all that stuff, and they send that that data to to scripts, and they compile that stuff to serve. So to help all these other people, all these other vessels out on the ocean, be like, oh, watch out, you know, there's a storm of brewing over here. Great stuff, great research. Um, but I mean, that's a really interesting thing to keep in mind that the uh, so this you know pivotal research for the greenhouse effect came from the heavily funded by the oil industry. And, you know, it doesn't say necessarily that the oil in- industry was funding. Keeling's research specifically, but they were heavily funders of scripts. And, you know, if if they were against uh, the greenhouse theory, they could have they could have leveraged that and said, we, we don't want to we're not going to fund you guys if you're going to research this thing that we think is bunk. Um, you know, there are two ways to think about this is that, you know, there's a lot of, uh, you know, these lawsuits coming out saying that. Um, the oil industry, they knew the risks of climate change and um, and they knew about it, but they weren't going to say anything. They weren't going to do anything. They kept it hush-hush because they, they liked money so much and therefore, and they knew that, you know, the world was going to end, but they were going to, you know, uh, keep it quiet because they wanted to make money while they could. And maybe that's a thing, but, uh, well, I mean, that seems... I mean, that's a, you know, pretty uh, crazy assumption. Uh, But, you know, maybe, you know, crazier things have been true. Um, But I think it's also good to keep in mind is that at the same time, the oil industry was battling uh, these accusations that um, that leaded gasoline was uh, really detrimental to to the climate, that um, the smog in L.A. had become really horrendous um and it was coming from cars everybody knows that uh and i mean i would say that like this gets into you know different contentious topics is that like i I don't think lead in general there's lead in your blood is is considered incredibly toxic uh, you know um leading to all kinds of you know brain damage and things like that but does leaded gasoline and leaded exhaust in the atmosphere that you breathe it in, does that cause brain damage? And that uh, um, the oil industry uh, has pointed out on, pretty on the regular that there's no evidence saying that's dangerous for most of the population. I mean, I think what what's, what doesn't get said very much is that the, the, just the general pollution, whether it was leaded or not, was bad for uh, everybody. That if you had, it was probably given a lot of people asthma for sure. Um, and I, that's, you know, I, it's, I, this is not something I'm, I'm going to be able to really speak to with enough detail, but it's really, I, I generally think, you know, the, the development of the catalytic converter is a, is a really huge, uh, incredible innovation that, um, that, that by itself really solved the smog issue altogether. And it not only cleared out the lead, from the atmosphere, but all the other particulate matter that was, you know, coming out of cars, um, not carbon monoxide, but you know, all the other, everything else that was causing smog, uh, and that that was the reason that leaded gasoline really kind of disappeared, is that uh, that they it gummed up the catalytic converters, and therefore it wasn't going to work with it. And that, there's still some countries that use leaded gasoline. There's certain airplanes and like uh boats that sort of use leaded gasoline because it does 
and you know, I don't know about like current day gasolines versus uh, leaded gasoline and all that, but it's, it is there to prevent knocking, um, where it's like uh, there's explosions of the gasoline, not when the engine cycle is going. So it's like, you know, like you think of a piston going up and down, uh, making the uh, you know the gasoline explode, um, and that that explosion pushes the pistons up and it makes another cycle. But when it uh, explodes, when not at the right time. That that it causes like a knocking sound. It sounds like it sounds like your car is uh, somebody's knocking on your uh, your car door or something like that. It doesn't it's not good for your engine. It's inefficient. It's wasting gas. It sounds terrible. Um, and that leaded gasoline was a great innovation for that. And that uh, what, what's an interesting uh, anecdote about all this is that the same guy that invented leaded gasoline or like he's been accredited with it is also the same guy that uh, developed the um, uh, the CFCs that you know were eroding the ozone layer, and so <laughs> that same guy, his his huge inventions were both being sort of shot down by uh, sort of environmental concerns, and it just I is randomly coincidental. I, was he trying for something? Did he know something? I don't know, but uh, uh, I'm, I'm forgetting his name. But so anyhow, like you know, they were the oil industry was being tar, you know, sort of under the under the gun for all the leaded gasoline and smog effects in the atmosphere, um, and you can't help but think that they would want to fund research that's about anything but that, because um, uh, because you know a, a distraction from uh, all the heat that they were getting from that because they were getting there were senate here multiple senate hearings sort of asking them about like you know what's going to be done about all this uh that you know this is there are dark clouds over los angeles what can we do about it and you know they they must have also seen the writing on the wall that it's going to be disappearing in the next few years as the catalytic converters are become you know go on all these automobiles and uh, get rolled out to the the population on mass and that what's, you know, so in the, he was going through the Keeling's papers that he published, um, you know, talking about like, and he's, you know, it's all saying that, you know, it's, this is the greenhouse theory. The humans are causing this mass amount of carbon dioxide. Um, and that he has this, these anecdotes. This is like in papers when I guess they used to be less scientific and you could talk about, you know, something you saw in the news that day. Uh, he talks about this guy who, uh, crashed, died while crashing his car. He was trying to drive out of San Diego to get some fresh air, to get away from the smog. Um, and it's, you know, because of all the carbon dioxide that was in the atmosphere. And I think that's, it was a very telling statement because it's sort of like Keeling was pushing propaganda. That's, it's kind of blatant at that right there is that A, as a scientist, you should know that um uh that uh well a san diego didn't really have that much smog that a lot of it was because of los angeles is has a bigger problem with smog because of just the sort of geography around it trapping the air in the sort of um right by the coast um and that you know somebody it was such a it's kind of a ridiculous sounding story that they were just in such a hurry to drive out of San Diego that they died from as you know the he had an asthma attack or something like that. It's just sort of like what a ludicrous story, and that um, 
that uh, you know uh, that he was worried about you know how catalytic converters creating carbon dioxide when that's absolutely wrong. Carbon uh, you know uh, catalytic converters create carbon dioxide. That's actually you know as they're filtering out all these these chemicals, they create more carbon dioxide. Uh, they're not filtering out carbon dioxide. Um, and yeah, so like he should have known that. And that, uh, yeah, that he, that it, he was pushing propaganda and that he kind of probably knew that he was, he was getting to do research and is kind of benefiting the oil industry as a distraction from all these things. And that, uh, and this was at a time when maybe, you know, you know, people weren't saying that uh, the world was going to end because of carbon dioxide, but, but like, we should be focusing on this. And his research really gave a huge boost to government funding of, you know, carbon dioxide research. And he got funding from National Science Foundation and NOAA to, you know, make sure Mount Aloha was, you know, there's, they were recording carbon dioxide levels throughout the year for years and years and years. Um, and that, you know, that it worked, uh, that, you know, it, it sort of, Got all of this attention for it. Um, I will say one sort of one sort of side note for all of that is that you know if you think like the oil industry is evil for pushing leaded gasoline and then you know uh, knowing about carbon dioxide emissions and you know that again that uh, it, it seems like they that it is true that uh, the EPA has never been able to say that you know leaded gasoline was that toxic for people. You know, maybe that's all not true or something like that. I don't know. But they, they've never, the oil industry hasn't been sued over leaded gasoline, as far as I know, or successfully sued, at least. Um, but automakers were sued in 1969 and had to settle with the Justice Department for trying to prevent the uh, addition of catalytic converters, which, I mean, that seems more, much more blatantly, you know, scandalous, is that, you know, catalytic converters, like, they cured smog, and I don't think enough attention gets you know paid to that. Is that that is the huge thing, and it's a really good thing. I mean, maybe you know you know who's to you know blame for one people wanting to drive cars, but for them to delay the ad, ad, adoption of catalytic converters, I mean that just seems that's just bad. I mean, why would you want to stop that? I I, I don't know. Maybe there's some details to that. I don't know, but um, uh. I, and maybe a little, you know, detail about like when I say that, uh, you know, the oil industry was funding scripts and it's like a huge list. It's like a, across the, every oil industry, it's Texaco, Gulf oil, Sun oil, you know, a lot of these don't really exist. They're all sort of merged together at this point. Shell, Exxon, Amoco, Chevron, Mobil, um, uh, it's, it was anybody and everybody. So it's not just Exxon, which, you know, I think it's kind of interesting that, uh, the, the the companies that are getting these lawsuits saying that they knew about the risks of climate change and didn't do anything about it. it's mainly i think it's chevron and exxon are getting the big lawsuits uh but all these other ones uh like shell i guess they're they're being sued for not doing enough that they're you know haven't uh you know, completely uh, switch to uh, electric vehicles and, you know, s stop selling gasoline altogether. Um, but uh, Exxon and Chevron are be being targeted. Uh, this also did make it into the story, but uh, it is very interesting that uh, a lot of the um, 
the children of the Exxon, you know, Exxon fortunes of Standard Oil from, you know, previous generations are all in support of climate change, uh, you know, try advocating about uh, around climate change. So, which is very odd, like as if, um, I mean, you'd think that maybe they're just trying to cover their own butts and, you know, don't want to be seen as evil people because everybody hates climate change now and anybody's not against climate change is evil, but it's, that's an odd one. And, uh, I, you know, you kind of wonder if they know something that they're not saying, but, um, um, so that's a sort of like, sort of a background, a sort of like, sort of a, a working theory of like, you know, you know, it's interesting that, you know, the oil companies were funding the research that has gotten them into the, you know, into the targeted these days. I mean, how much they're being affected by, you know, all this climate change, uh, um, uh, political activity or not it's really you know the coal industry that's really uh in the crosshairs uh maybe maybe the oil industry is benefiting from it because um it's not really stopping people from uh from using oil or using natural gas natural gas you know keeps getting used to, you know, it's you know uh it's become like the most common source of energy generation so uh you know you kind of wonder what their role in it is uh, if they are, you know, the victims, the perpetrators, who knows? But, um, but one other aspect of, and there's probably, a, you know, 10 other things we haven't even, I haven't talked about like, uh, coral degradation, that sort of science, but the, the, the one other pillar of, you know, climate change evidence is our ice cores that um, these, you know, long cylindrical cuts into glaciers, uh, you know, they're used to sort of measure, you know, the, the long-term changes in carbon dioxide in Earth's atmosphere. So, like, you look back, you know, 500,000 years through, through the ice to sort of gauge, uh, you know, how much, how much carbon dioxide was in the, in the air in the Paleolithic era. Paleozoic, or you know, just like these super long-term, you know, you know, n nobody, you know, before humans were on the planet, you know, existed b before dinosaurs, that sort of thing, and to compare it to the current day, to be like, well, you know, is the carbon dioxide that humans are putting off is that, you know, is that negligible compared to what it was a hundred thousand years ago, or is it is it something significant? And, you know, a lot of this started, it, most of it started with the Vostok um, station, uh, this Russian station in Antarctica, that they, they did like one of the first deep boreholes into the ice. And, you know, what they do is, it, the ice is, you know, this is ice that's been there for hundreds and thousands of years. And it's what happens is that, you know, the snow, uh, snow in the atmosphere sort of rests onto the previous snow and all just just by the weight of that snow slowly compacts over thousands of years and uh, it gets to a point like a, if you go for, far enough down that that ice becomes like not just like uh, brittle ice but it becomes like very compacted solid ice called fern f-i-r-n um, and in that process it's trapping the air that was in the atmosphere into that ice, and then it just gets frozen there forever and ever and ever. 
Um, and it's not just carbon dioxide. I think that methane and oxygen are all trapped in the bubbles. And that they, what they do is they just sort of cut out the ice and use, I don't know if it's a spectrometer or some other devices to sort of analyze the amount of carbon dioxide that's trapped in that ice. And uh, the, the Vostok station in 1957, uh, they, they did an incredibly, I don't know how many, how, I'm trying to remember how many meters deep, it, but hundreds and hundreds of meters deep. This is like a massive, uh, massively long borehole that they cut. And uh, it would show an alternating pattern of carbon dioxide throughout the thousands of years between 182 to 298 parts per million. And it would alternate across 100,000 years. Every 100,000 years, there would be a peak. Then it would go down into a trough and back up to a peak. Um, and this is sort of like, you know, there's confusion about there's, you know, carbon cycles, about how carbon goes in and out of the atmosphere. But there's this other cycle of just the amount of carbon that's sort of released into the atmosphere and uh and then and, and i'll cut myself off there because i don't exactly know where it goes and uh, where it comes from um but it, it the, their research was uh, repeated this is more recently by this european project the european project for ice coring in antarctica epica uh, at the dome sea uh, which is just like a one of the sort of like small mountains in antarctica um and they would show that, you know, that rotating pattern of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. And that, but those measurements stop at about, um, you know, a little less than, was it two, 2000 years ago, uh, almost about the, you know, you know, was it about 700 BC or BC or AD? Uh, you know, these are long time frames here. This is not like a century or two centuries. This is like, uh, you know, thousands of years we're talking about. Uh, they stop there, and they, you know, they don't get into the current day because that you're getting close to the top of the ice. Um, but it's more recent research, in particular these two um, projects, the Law Dome uh, Ice Core and the West Antarctic Ice Sheet or WACE um, uh, Ice Core project, would do, drill very shallow ice cores. You know, like less than. 50 meters deep, uh, and they, they're the ones that are saying, oh, look, this is getting into the current era and the last 200 years, and wow, carbon dioxide is just going through the roof. And if that's just got, has to be from the Industrial Revolution uh, and human, human-caused climate change and you know all the burning of fossil fuels. Um, and uh, it's not, not only is it going up, but... It started at the last peak, like the where the Vostok data ends was at a, a peak in the data of about like around 300 parts per million. And ostensibly, that number would be going right back down as it sort of goes up and, uh, you know, up and down, up and down. But the the law dome and the waste data are saying that, no, it's not it's it's not even it's not going down at all. It's going up and up and up from there. Um, and so, which is, that's not only saying that it's not, it's like, if we start, if the humans started adding tons of carbon dioxide right at the peak, you would think that if it's the, the, the carbon cycle is set to go down, that it would, oh, those would kind of cancel out, out a bit, maybe it would go down a little bit 
or flatline or maybe it would just go up a little bit because the, the, the natural cycle and the human cycle would kind of cancel each other out. Um, natural emissions and the human emissions. But no, no, it's just like the humans are supposedly emitting so much carbon dioxide that it's go it's just going for, through the roof from there. The, the natural uh, decline in carbon dioxide doesn't matter anymore. It's all human. It's not, it's a thousand percent humans, which doesn't make any sense because this is also we're talking about the 1700s. This is the beginning of the industrial revolution. They're like barely able to you know forge steel at this point. You know, and to say that that humans had like zero effect on climate. Uh, in carbon dioxide emissions before that, that, you know, all the, you know, humans were still burning wood and all these other things, but that had zero effect. And it's only carbon dioxide from coal uh, combustion to create steel that really made any difference because uh, coal was, you know, used for, was being burned before that, just not for steel, just for heating up homes. Um, It's all really hard to believe. I really, uh, I don't know if I can, you know, swallow like really any of it. It just, it, and so not only is that just seem kind of hard, hard to take, but the science behind the ice core uh, readings seems totally suspicious as well, because what they're doing, like the reason, it seems like the reason Vostok and Epica start uh, or stop about, uh, you know, you know, a thousand years ago, is uh, that the, that it seems like that you you shouldn't be a, the the process of getting a, you know of, of the fern of I, of snow pressuring down on snow pressuring down on snow to compressing it to create um, to create this this uh, compressed ice with trapped gas that that takes some time. You can't just you know pick up snow off the ground and find that trapped ice in there. And it really needs to be packed in there. It needs to be, it needs to trap that gas and it takes some time to do it. It might take a thousand years um, it may, or at least, you know, a few hundred years or something like that. But the, the law dome and the waste uh, projects are not doing that. That's, they're just, they're kind of just scraping the surface. Um, it's, it's like less than, less than 50 meters for, uh, I think all of their readings. Um, and, uh, is that reliable science? Uh, it seems like, and there's a there's a decent amount of references to saying that like fern needs to start at you know seventy meters plus. It needs to go at least that for that to happen. Maybe there's some exceptions to that about like if you're in different places where the snow is heavier and it happens quicker or something like that. But. Uh, they're taking really shallow samples, and whether that's a reliable way to do ice coring is is a big question. I mean, it, I think it's sort of an example right there is that Vostok didn't go that shallow, Epica didn't go that shallow. It's just these other two uh, projects that decided to go use shallow snow, shallow ice, um, and they're showing you know while Vostok the the peaks hit at like you know 300 parts per million uh the law dome one is going up to like almost you know almost 400 parts per million from there just saying like oh my god it's off the charts this is crazy humans are destroying the planet yada 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 um and uh and yeah that it's just uh it just doesn't seem it doesn't seem scientific 
it seems hard to swallow. And, um, and it's just sort of like, it, there is a lot of complex science that goes into this. Again, it's like the chemistry of understanding the molecules that are in ice cores and all these other things. Um, but you, I think if you, you put a, a little bit of effort into sort of just understanding about like what's going on there to understand the sort of process of how a fern, you know, is, is used for ice cores is, is not super complicated. Maybe sort of some of the chemistry to sort of extract that information is a little complicated, but I think it's, it's, it's sufficient to understand that like, well, no, that's, you know, all these other projects didn't do it this way. Uh, can you really do it based on, you know, for the last, you know, 50 years? Is that sort of reliable in any sort of way? It seems like it's, it's crossing the boundaries of, you know, what the whole idea of like trapping gases in ice was all about. It takes time, it takes pressure. Uh, and the, these, these two uh, ice core measurements seem like they're ignoring all of that. And uh, I think for that reason alone, um, that sort of the ice cores are actually are a huge backbone of the, the, the greenhouse theory is that because a, a lot of it is based on this idea that like, no, we're not just putting out a little bit of carbon dioxide. We're putting out tons of it. You know, even though it's going up, we don't know, you know, this is like the true baseline is that like we're putting out so like 10 times, you know, or twice as much as what was in the Paleolithic era of, of, you know, the dinosaurs, uh, that sort of thing. And, um, if that's not true, then how much of the greenhouse theory is true? Maybe just a small sliver of it, and maybe it really just isn't worth uh, talking about anymore. 